You're listening to the Country Chat Podcast with your host, Dom. Subscribe, give a five-star rating and follow us on Twitter at country underscore chat and stay up to date. Hi there, you listen to the Country Chat Podcast with me, Dom. Today I'm going back over to Nashville and I'm speaking to wonderful Connor from Southern Gothic. Hi Connor. Hey there Dom, thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing real well. It's been a bit of a like last minute thing this. It's been, I got an email the other day from Rachel Selick saying, you know, they've got this fantastic band from Nashville, you know, do you, want, do you want to check these guys out? Checked out your new EP, even though you've got an album out already, it's, it's been really refreshing to listen to your music. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. You know, uh, this new EP is definitely a different, uh, we're striking out in a different direction on the new one, but, uh, um, it's been, uh, it's been nice that, uh, that a lot of the new, the new fans have dug the old stuff too. So yeah, I mean, sheets down from your last album. That's one that really hit. hit Yeah. That one, that was our big hit over here for sure. That was the one that, uh, you know, it, the video, you know, went up to number one on CMT for a few weeks and, and, uh, you know, everybody was like, who are these people? Uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, that was an, it was a nice experience to have, uh, and I'm hoping we can recreate it with, uh, with past midnight and then uh, villain as well after that. What's it been like for you? I know I, it's one of these topics that we always talk about. And we were talking a little bit of it before we actually started this. Being locked down here in the UK, it's been really, it's been difficult on the arts here. It's been there's been comments made by our government saying that people need to like retrain into something that's going to be more beneficial to like the economy and to people's wages because the arts ain't going to be starting anytime soon. What's it been like in Nashville for you? Oh uh, yeah, that 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 pretty well describes what it's been like here in Nashville. You know, you can't really get out and 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 make any money. Um, uh, you know, this weekend uh, we're actually playing a wedding, which is not really our normal thing, but it's uh, some longtime fans and friends. <coughs> excuse me, and and we had to set up, uh, you know, kind of set the ground rules with them because uh, you know, as I'm sure anyone over uh, over there that watches the news knows. We have a lot of folks here that aren't uh, aren't real diligent with the uh, distancing and the mask wearing. So, um, so we agreed to do the wedding, but only you know if the venue had a stage that was a certain number of feet off the ground, and we could put tables in between the stage and people. So, yeah. if they have to, you know, if they want to request a song, um, we're actually putting we're actually putting a text, like a big sign with with a phone number. It's like text us your requests. Don't 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 write it down on a little paper and give it to me. But but even so, that's that's really the only gig uh, we've got going. Um, you know, right at the beginning of lockdown, uh, I was lucky enough to kind of be on the the first wave of people that did the live stream. So like the first couple live streams I did, um, and this was, you know, I couldn't even bring the band in. This is when it was like hardcore lockdown. Yeah. But the first couple we did, uh, you know, combined to have about a hundred thousand views, um, which was, which was awesome and kind of helped keep me, you know, float financially for a while. But, um, you know, to your point, as far as, you know, people retraining, doing new things, um, there's definitely a lot of that, a lot of that here, you know, I think that, you know, not just the musicians, but the people in the touring industries, um, you know, they're, they're kind of without work now. And, um, you know, I have some friends that are lucky enough to work for our, you know, big artists that are big enough and also, you know, uh, care enough about their crew that they're still 
on salary. They're still paying them, even though they're not on the road. But um, I think that's the exception more than the rule. So, you know, a lot of us are figuring it out and a lot of, um, you know, we got to worry for, for the, the venues. A lot of the venues are, are shutting down or uh, in danger of shutting down. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a precarious time for art, generally any kind of art. Did you find it weird going between live streaming and that coming from gigging, seeing crowds face to face to then seeing people, you know, behind a screen kind of thing? Yeah, it's real weird. Um, you know, um, all of the live streaming we've done, <clears throat> we've done with, you know, a camera crew because we want it to look good. You know, I, there was a couple artists like real big name artists that did the, did their live stream and I tuned in and it was on a iPhone and like from their dark kitchen and you can only see one side of the face. And I'm like, man, really, why are you doing this? Um, but something that, that, you know, in those live streams, uh, you know, they're sitting there in front of their phone and they're seeing the different, um, you know, they're seeing the people, um, comment and they're able to comment back with the way we did, um, way we did it, you know, we had somebody filming and, and streaming it. So we didn't have that opportunity to kind of interact the way that other people did. So, um, you know, we've been trying to figure out, uh, you know, a way to have the people more involved, whatever that is. I don't, you know, we, we haven't really nailed that down, but that is weird. Um, not having the crowd there. Cause obviously it's hard to have the, the energy you want to have, um, you know, when we set it up to, uh, you know, we're going to be doing a, a album release live stream first, first week of, uh, December. And, uh, you know, we're like, well, you know, we gas the club. Can, can we bring like 10 people in just so they can clap? And they're like, nope, nope. The band and the crew only. So, uh, so, you know, Quinn, our bass player got a bunch of like, uh, uh, applause noises on his phone. He's like, yeah. After this thing, I just He's like, we won't make it weird. We'll make sure everybody sees that I'm doing that, that I'm not like trying to pretend that, you know, there's actually, um, so I guess that's our, that's our closest thing right now. When we do that, uh, when we record that stream, uh, then I guess we'll have, uh, you know, we'll have canned audience. Yeah. That sounds brilliant. Just to have your phone to play the clouds. That's clever. I like that. You know, you do what you can, right? Now I've noticed you keep every so often like keep coughing. Do you ever get like panicky thinking, "Oh crap, I might have it." So, so like my entire life, I have a really difficult time drinking things. I don't know. I don't have the skill, and I always end up choking myself on, <laughs> on like a drink. And and it's like I, even if I'm thinking about it, it still happens all the time. So, so when I'm out. I'm around other people anywhere, like, you know, at their house, whatever. And I have to take a drink. I'm just like, really like, think that don't, don't choke on this. You know, I'm hundred percent sure that's how I, that's how I die. And in, in the end, that's how I die is uh, choking on a glass of water. But um, you know, in the meantime, you can't, you can't do that in front of people. I'm less worried about me. Cause I know I'm a clumsy fool, but <laughs> I don't want them seeing me coughing and going, Oh, we got to get away from Connor. So here we go. You know, get a protective bubble around him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now we were talking as well. You're wearing a super dry to a super dry top. Yeah. And I'm wearing a super dry jacket because I've just come on from work. Yeah. Do you always wear super dry? Is it like your go-to thing? Uh, I love super dry. I love Supreme being as well. Um, those are, those are probably my two favorite, uh, uh, designers. Um, I was in London, uh, for the Olympics in 2012. Um, 
and I'd always been a super dry fan, but we don't have the big like double deck or super dry stores. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I was there and, you know, I was like, you, know, you get your money, you've set aside for meals and this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, man, I spent, uh, well more than I should have on, uh, at the super dry store. And, uh, and that was actually when I discovered Supreme being, um, you know, just, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, new era, like flat bill caps. Yeah. And I went, went into the new era store. I, I don't remember what, like right by the Olympic village, there was like a big mall you had to go through to get in and out. Yeah. And, uh, I went in the new era store and they had this, uh, crossover Supreme being cap. I was like, Oh, I've got to have that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I went in there to buy like an, uh, you know, an Olympic souvenir, <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a cool, you know, uh, 2012 Olympics cap. And I was like, no, I'm going to get that. Cause that's, <laughs> you know, that's the hotness. And I still wear it all the time. And I'm, you know, I've got, uh, gotten several more, but I still wear that same one from 2012 all the time. Have you been to England since 2012? I have not. I haven't. You need to come over here and tall. Would love to have no, you. No, we're, we're, we're at then. That's why, uh, that's why I'm talking to you. That's why, uh, Rachel's helping me, uh, get in touch with some people over there because, uh, you know, when I look at my, you know, artists, you know, artists, Spotify for artists. And I look at it and I'm like, well, there's a pretty significant portion of the people that are listening to us are in, you know, in the UK, you know, in, in England and Scotland uh, and even in Scandinavia. Um, I've actually been to Scandinavia a few times. Um, I got sent by my publisher to write, write songs with some artists there. And um, I need to get back. I got a lot of friends up there now. So. Kyle, wait up here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. We're we're hoping that by uh, you know, by summertime things are cool. Hopefully, uh, you know, Americans will behave enough that we're allowed uh into the country. Yeah. Um that remains to be seen. Well, it's not just Americans as well. It's it's us Brits because we're going through this period now where we're almost at the second wave and things mm-hmm. are starting to be locked down again. Back to how it was back in March when it was really kicking off. So yeah. we need to behave as well. And we need to, we all need to be wearing our masks and social distancing and, you know, just common sense, really. Yeah. I, my, my favorite meme, you know, that you see going around is, you know, people say, you think wearing a mask is uncomfortable. Wait till you get to try a ventilator. I'm like, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's for the sake of here in the UK, when you wear a mask, you've got to wear it on, on public transport. When you're in a group, and basically anywhere where you're in a social situation where you cannot avoid being two meters. Now, a mask doesn't have to be one of these big bulky things. All it has to be is like a fabric type of thing, just protecting your mouth. It's for what it is, you know, it's common sense. It shouldn't be that big a deal. And, you know, for me, um, growing up, my dad worked for the, the U S state department. So we moved around a lot, but his, uh, uh specialty was in asia so we lived mostly in asia when i was a kid yeah and everyone wore masks like in the winter time if if, if you were in the, you know it was the same idea it was if you were sick you wore a mask so you didn't get other people sick um and it was just you know uh i don't know i feel like the sense of of community in in some places in the world is you know overrides that sense of individualism and 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 i think that uh both uh, in your country and mine, that's not always the case. Yeah. Well, ultimately, yeah. as long as we can get you here some point before the end of next year, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, you know, we're really hoping to uh, 
you know, right as, uh, you know, right as spring turns to summer is what we're aiming for um, to get over that way. And, uh, you know, hopefully by then this, this uh, current EP that's coming out, that'll be doing something. And, and uh, we've got the next one written. Uh, it's just a matter of, of finding a home for it. So, uh, you know, we're ready to, ready to record the follow up and hopefully that'll be out as just as we get over there. All right. Now, before we actually get into talking about Burning Moonlight, your new EP, I want to take us back. I want to, I want to go back to when you first started music, you know, when you first decided, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do. What was that moment? You know, what can you remember or can you pinpoint that moment where you thought, you know what, this is going to be my career. This is what I'd like to do in the future. Well, I can say this about it. Um, I had a lot of weird ideas, you know, as a kid, as a teenager growing up. Um, and once I would decide on something, even subconsciously, that was just the way it would be from then on out. And it, and it never, it never occurred to me to question the ideas that I had or to say, you know, uh, you know, maybe I should, you know, uh, maybe I should think about having a backup plan. Um, but just as far as I can remember, I was always going to be a musician for a living. The only time it ever, uh, you know, my thought ever diverged from that path was when I started getting really good at basketball and started getting, you know, you know, you make the, the varsity team when you're, you know, a freshman, you know, too young for the team. And then, you know, I ended up being one of the better players. And at some point I was like, Oh, maybe I'll play basketball for a living and equally unrealistic idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, as far as music, uh, when I got married, my mom gave my wife this book and it was all this, just like little stuff about me she had collected, you know, whether it was like pictures or like, a, you know, like some art projects that I'd done when I was a kid. And, it, you know, it was just like, you know, here's Connor before you knew him kind yeah. of thing. And, and uh, on the first page, there's a piece of colored paper folded in half. And on the outside, it says, Miss Lombardi's uh, first grade class. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I open it up and it's a picture of me with a microphone. And it says, I want to be a singer. I want to take Michael Jackson's place. I don't know what that means, but, um, but clearly at, you know, six years old, five years old, however I was when, when that was done, um, I was pretty sure about it then. Just everything I've done in my life has just been, you know, working toward that one goal. There's never really, I never really had another thought, you know? Yeah. I mean, Michael Jackson is, you know, is still a big influence in a lot of people's lives. You know, even after all the, I'm going to call, for the sake of it, I'm going to call them allegations. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think that there, there's, a, I mean, it's the case against him is always pretty shaky. Sure. He was a weird dude and yeah. maybe, maybe bad stuff happened, but every single person, it seems that ever accused him of anything, you know, turned out years down the line, there was some other, you know, ulterior motives to it. So maybe he did some bad stuff. Maybe he didn't. I think allegations is, is the right way to put it. I mean, I can't really think of any other term to use it because he's not being convicted of anything. You know, the, there has been a lot of allegations, but as as it can stand, you know, it's a lot of it's hearsay. Now, I've, everybody can formulate opinions, but irregardless of what opinions you make of what he, what he's alleged to do in his later days, he was still a fantastic singer and performer from being a kid onwards. Yeah. You know, there's there's no denying that. You know, there's no denying the effort he went into making each show this big, dramatic event. 
Yeah, I mean, like if you watch that "This Is It" movie, man, like the the just like they showed the rehearsals, and and it's like I can be a bear at rehearsals. It's like you know uh, we had rehearsal this weekend, two days of it, and you know Saturday everybody got here at three, and finally at, at you know ten o'clock, I was like, all right, well, since we're in tomorrow, we can go ahead and stop now. <laughs> you know, after a full, full day of rehearsing. Um, yeah, so so I can understand, but but it was nothing compared to the Michael Jackson rehearsals. Like you know, it was uh, you know reminiscent of what you hear about the Ray Charles and and uh, James Brown, where they just were cracking the whip and and just you know giving people fines if they messed up and you know all this crazy stuff. So uh, I mean that that guy, uh, whatever else he did, he was uh, he was serious about his his work, and uh, you know you got to respect that. Exactly. I mean, you can't deny the amount of good he did, you know, in terms of his music and how he touched people's lives. And, you know, if you want to aspire to be somebody, you know, that influential, I've got to applaud you for that. You know, that's cracking. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously at uh, age five, I didn't realize all the work that went into it. So uh, <laughs> the cost yeah. as well. Right, right, right. Uh, so anyway, but uh, yeah, man, you know, I think uh, whatever else happened in that guy's life and obviously he, uh, he had some bad stuff happen to him that, you know, obviously made him how he was. But uh, musically, he was he was a big deal to me and, you know, a whole lot of other people. Going from then, from reading this, this little drawing, you know, saying that you want to be like, Michael, take over Michael Jackson. Going yeah. from then, you know, what was your next steps to actually making a dream a reality? Um, so, right, you know, maybe two, maybe the next year, grade two. Um, I, uh, I got my first guitar and, uh, took the only lessons I'd ever taken in my <laughs> life. Um, I took those for, for maybe a year, but, um, my parents were not cool, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, and so when I asked for a guitar, they got me like a, classical like flamenco guitar right <laughs> so um so that was where i started off and then after a year of that i was like you know fuck this i don't want to do this anymore yeah. oh so i put it down and um you know that that lasted a couple of years and and we came back uh came back to the states uh in grade six and uh i convinced my mom to buy me a, or to not even buy me to to rent me a drum set really and so yeah. And so I got a drum set, you know, it was a, a music shop up the street and they would rent you stuff. I think, um, you know, that it was just a thing where, where kids were sort of experimenting and figuring out what instrument they wanted to play. Um, yeah. and, I, and I've learned a lot about that, uh, uh, with my daughters, like, you know, um, my oldest daughter started piano at, at age five and kept it up all the way till she went off to university. Um, but my younger girls, uh, you know, they've, they've had a lot of trouble deciding what they want to play. So, you know, same deal there. They, they rented us a drum set and, and, uh, um, I hacked away at it for, for a while. I would, you know, sit there with the, you know, poison and skid row and my earphones and just like, you know, rock out to all the hair metal that was happening at the time. And, um, you know, and I never, never got to be very good, um, as a drummer, um, we you know put uh, put together a band and again i was not a very good drummer and there was another oops what did i do uh there was another kid um that uh 
that we knew that played drums and I was trying to play drums and sing at the same time. And I didn't know how to do either. So um, we said, okay, well, why don't we, why don't we see if Tom, Tom will play drums and then you just sing. And uh, within like a, within a couple of months, we were writing songs. We started, you know, getting little gigs, you know, at, you know, school functions or yeah. um, there was, um, this is at the time I lived in Atlanta and um, there's a big university in downtown Atlanta called Georgia Tech, you know, Georgia Institute of Technology. And uh, they had like an actual club on campus. Um, but because so many of the university kids were underage, you got to be 21 to get in most bars here. <laughs> um, yeah. Because so they were underage. This was like the only all ages club in town. So we'd go and we'd play. Um, and this place was called the Somber Reptile. Um, and we'd go and play the Somber Reptile and everybody from, you know, grade six, you know, would convince their parents to drive them to like the worst neighborhood in Atlanta and let them come in uh, to this bar. So, um, so it yeah. got to be, you know, you know, by age 12 or 13, we were selling out, you know, we were selling out shows of 12 and 13 year olds. But um, after that first time I saw that, that, uh, sold out sign go up i was like well this is it this is what i do from here on out yeah <clears throat> it must feel good you know to see to see the sign go saying that it's sold out say you've gone from you know throwing away the flamenco <laughs> flamenco guitar when you're in grade two to then it must have been such an accomplishment it was it was um and uh you know, the the one thing that sort of tempered that made it made it a little bit bittersweet was that uh, my dad had always had always played football, American football. Um, and uh, before he went to work for the for the government, he um, was a sportscaster. So he, you know, he, yeah. he would do radio calls and then eventually TV. Um, and at the time, I just kind of because I knew how much it meant to him. I was playing football and doing the band and then the band started selling out shows. And then one, one day, uh, at, at practice, um, uh, training, we got, I got hit so hard and I got up and took my helmet off and I walked off the field. I was like, I'm gonna stick to playing music, dad. <laughs> and to his credit, like I could see it on his face, like how, how sad that made him, you know, he wanted to be, be there to root for me. But he never said a word about it. He was he was supportive. He always uh, he was always behind me. And and you know I know for a lot of people who do uh, art of whatever kind, you know, uh, especially dads can be pretty hard on on those kids. So I was I was real lucky to have a dad that that while he was not able to keep the disappointment off his face, <laughs> uh, he kept it out of anything he said to me. And and. Uh, you know, he only had only had good things to say uh, about what I did, which, you know, when I go back and I find the little demo tapes that those bands made, I'm like, how did they say anything nice to me? How did they not tell you tell me I was throwing my life away? So, um, yeah. So, you know, that that uh, that was like the one uh, the one little hurdle that I was, you know, to, was, was getting over disappointing my dad. Um, but, uh, you know, once I got past that, um and just decided I didn't care what anybody else thought. That was a that was a big you know turning point for me, where I kind of was able to open up the engine and go full speed ahead, and 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 just say this this is it. I don't care about anything else, and this is all I'm going to do. 
please tell me you've got the demo tapes left hidden somewhere nice and safe so we can listen to them oh yeah yeah so i can listen to you can't listen to them but <laughs> oh, i can please listen. go on <laughs> oh man i tell you what for every every uh, million streams i get i'll pull out one uh, of the new record i'll pull out one old demo that somebody can hear you hear this everybody one million streams go on you can, you can do it we can do it. You're hear some bizarro thrash metal done by done by teenagers you're gonna be uh you're going to you won't be disappointed what was it that made you go into like the country scene then you know to move away from that thrash metal so it was it, my my like stylistical you know journey has been super super weird uh when you're 12 years old and you want to join a band uh, of 12 year olds what is available to you is you know at least at, at my school at the time was thrash metal bands you know that's what everybody <laughs> wanted to be metallica and so um you know that happened and then right right at that time that was when nirvana and pearl jam took off and so thrash metal became you know you know we took some of the off and you know and uh, just added you know less anger more angst yeah. um and, you know we just uh, it, it, that was a, that was a slight shift um and then uh come high school come come maybe uh 16 17 years old i really found uh a group that i that i vibed with and it was um it was real close to like a crosby stills and nash thing those three of us that all sang and we'd we'd sing harmony for each other everybody sang lead and you know we all three played guitar and we had a backup band and that was really um you know to me that was when I finally found something that I was like, Oh, this is, this is what I could do. This is what I wanted, want to do. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, any, it wasn't any more about what was available. It was like finding something that I really loved. Um, well, you know, sure enough that happened. And then everybody time came to go off to university for all of us. And we all went different places. And, um, uh, I got offered a, a gig in a band that was already signed. They already had a, they already had a little record deal. Um, and again, it was metal. So <laughs> I, I went touring, touring on Ozfest, going out with, with Godsmack, doing all these kind of things. And, um, there was, uh, there was a good bit of that, you know, starting then, um, was that, you know, I was a good singer. I could adapt to whatever style. So I kept getting offered gigs in these bands that were, you know, they're, you know, at least for someone that age paid well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether or not I, I was, you know, wanted to play metal, um, going on Ozfest and getting to hang with the guys from Marilyn Manson every night, you know, that was cool. Somebody you know, that, that was, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Uh, I, you know, I, like at the time I was 18, everybody in my band was 30. Um, and, uh, Marilyn Manson was one of the, one of the bands on that tour. Uh, and Jordy, uh, who plays bass, uh, for Marilyn Manson, um, and uh, also Perfect Circle for a while. Um, he in Marilyn Manson, his name's Twiggy Ramirez. Anyway, he was also yeah. much much younger than everybody in that band. So neither of us could get into bars <laughs> without like a hassle. I mean, if you got all the Ozfest guys with you, sooner or later they they can get you in. But a lot of nights it was just like not worth it. And you know we were yeah. you know he, he and I were both like pot smokers and more than we were drinkers, and so. We'd stay on the bus and hang out and, you know, chill play, uh, 
play video games and you know get blazed you know while the while the you know the older guys were out doing their thing so you know i didn't love that band but i loved that experience and then um you know like eventually I, I couldn't get past like not getting along with the guy whose band it was the guitar player who was kind of in charge and he and i just butted heads enough that finally i left the the band and uh the very next morning my buddies called and said hey i, I you know i heard you left ken and them i'm like yeah he's like you want to come sing for us <laughs> um and uh it's like i don't know uh you know um because they were uh they were a rap group and i was like well, <laughs> all like, right uh, I don't know. That's 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 maybe even less my thing uh, than metal, which maybe wasn't true because I did listen to rap and I didn't listen to metal. So, um, so I did. Uh, so you know, I you know they they convinced me mostly by showing me how many people were coming to their shows every night, and I was like, well, all right. So I joined that band, and and pretty short order, I got my first record deal. The band I'd been in had a record deal, but but this was the first time I'd ever signed a record deal was with with that rap band, um, and we uh, we were kind of what I would call frat rap, like you know like white boy rap. You know, it was a lot of you know a lot of singing about you know smoking weed and drinking and yeah. and and you know just how cool <laughs> we were. you know there wasn't a lot of substance to what we were doing. So you know we did that. We had some really killer tours. Played with some you know like really big name bands um we uh actually had a night where we got put on with incubus all right and yeah this is this is like when we booked the gig it was right before science came out um and uh we had all actually had their uh, their fungus among us uh little ep but um so we were so excited to play with them and we booked the show and there's three months in between when we book it and when we play it. And so, because no one's ever heard of Incubus and we sell this club out regularly, Incubus is the opener. No. Well, well, that was a problem because in between like a month, a month later, science came out a month later, Incubus blows up. And then a month later is the show. Yeah. And so, you know the incubus fans are crazy they bought all the tickets none of our people bought bought their tickets in advance because they didn't think they had to um so um so we get out there and you know there's the opener and then incubus goes on they do a killer set they're so good um but then they just took like a year to break their stuff down so by the time we got on stage club was at like you know 25 percent capacity oh, yeah everybody, everybody had left so that was our one one night with incubus but we did a, you know a lot of uh, a lot of shows with black eyed peas with uh uh gwen stefani with no doubt yeah. um you know with all the any kind of like you know rap rock band you can think of from the 90s i promise you we we toured with them <laughs> um you know we the, you know started with that band in um 99 at the end of 99 so you know we were like right there at the beginning of uh of the 2000s so then 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 uh you know that thing you know kind of ran its course you know like you know there's only there's only room for one 311 um so you know eventually <laughs> you know, that, uh you know it fizzled out we had some we had a couple of great years and then uh you know between uh just being sick of doing that kind of music and, you know, internal band dynamics. Finally, the band broke up and I went and did a solo thing for a long time and um, got hired or, you know, got some gigs at this one 
one club in Atlanta, very popular place, uh, but it's, you know, just a dive bar, but it's really big and a lot of people go there. And after we'd done a few shows, they offered us uh, the house band gig. All right. And so, so we started being the house band at this place. It's called the Dixie Tavern. So um, after about a year and, and, you know, this was doing a lot of, uh, a lot of cover, cover songs, you know, we we're doing, um, you know, at the time I just left another, you know, left, left the rap band. So I wasn't going to play those songs. I didn't, <laughs> didn't really have a ton of original stuff, you know, that was appropriate for this kind of crowd. So we're playing mostly covers and, um, and, uh, you know, the covers that I knew were all like the nineties rock. So we did all the Alice in Chains and Marilyn Manson and Rage Against the Machine and all that stuff. Um, and in really short order, we, we started selling out every Saturday night. Like people, people were pumped about it. Um, and you know, would come see the, the, the band. And then, so we were the Saturday night band and, and it was going so well that they decided, decided to hire a Thursday night house band. All right. Yeah. So they hired this guy, Zach Brown to be the third Thursday <laughs> night house band. Um, and I thought if I, if I'd have known Thursday was the good night, I'd have done Thursday, man. <laughs> I didn't know that's how it worked, but, um, so, um, so really like, you know, he kind of cornered the market on country there at the Dixie Tavern. They were doing that on Thursday. So, um, you know, it, as this is all going on, um, we're doing, you know, 200 shows a year or, you know, we're playing, you know, four nights a week or whatever. And we always end up Saturday night at Dixie. Um, but at this point, um, I have bought my first piano and I'm starting to, you know, starting to learn that. And, and, and I found it was really easy to take everything I knew from guitar and transfer it to piano. Cause it was so much easier. It was so linear <laughs> where our guitar is weird, you know, like, like just the way it, 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 you know, set up is really strange. And, you know, so I got, I got much better at piano much faster than I ever had a guitar. And so I started writing, writing songs and, going back to the time where I'd been in my kind of folk rock Crosby Stills Nash band, I had really come to love Elton John and, and that had become like kind of my obsession, especially Tumbleweed Connection, Madman Across the Water and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Those three records like never left, uh, never left my, <laughs> my CD changer in my car. Yeah. Uh, back when those were a thing. They so, were you know, a thing. Yeah, so I was writing, you know, where you had to put like put the discs in the magazine, put the magazine in the trunk, uh, you know. And so uh, anyway, so um, so when I got the piano, of course, my first order of business was to try to write a bunch of Elton John songs. Um, and so we're doing metal and then like I'm interspersing my originals, which are all like, you know, piano, like, you know, ballads and stuff. Yeah, it was a weird mix. And as and as we you know, started moving that direction, you know, moving away from like the hard rock stuff. Um, you know, I'd write this song or that song and somebody would be like, Oh, you know, that'd be really good with a banjo. And so, you know, so I'd call a banjo player and then we can complain. We're like, yeah, you know what? That really would be good with a banjo. And then, um, we made, uh, we made a little record, uh, and, and, uh, we'd met this, fiddle player who was really good i saw seen him play with somebody else and he was much older than us it was never we were never gonna have him in the band or anything but uh we had him out um to jam a couple of times and went in the studio and put this fiddle on it and then we put out the record and the three songs with fiddle were the ones that everybody asked for 
So eventually we ended up having to hire a fiddle player to come out because the songs didn't sound the same. And then, you know, we went through a few different, you know, fiddle players. And then we found somebody that was kind of a, a fit cause he had kind of a rock sensibility to him. And so, you know, so it just kept drifting in a more Americana rootsy direction. Um, you know, uh, and, and it was just really, really super organic. And then, um, uh, at some point, uh, we, by the way, the, our band had been called princess this whole time, um, which, which was funny when we were a metal band. And then it was like kind of apps when we were doing the piano rock thing, because we had, you know, elements of like what queen was doing, but then we also had the our guitar player was like, you know, f- real funk oriented. So he was like, he was really into Prince. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm the queen, you're into Prince. Let's be princess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and also, uh, it upset a lot of people, which I took great joy in. Yeah, uh, obviously. Just, yeah, people people hated it. They're like, "Oh God, I'm gonna go see Connor's band." Yeah, I said, "You mean Princess?" God, like, oh, no. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So finally, um, you know, finally at, at some point we were like, "Okay, we get, if we're gonna if we're gonna do Roots music, we probably gotta gotta jettison the the Princess name." And uh, <laughs> and so yeah, so we, we became Connor Christian and Southern Gothic. Uh, at the time um and uh didn't make any friends in the zach brown camp by starting to do country music kind of in his house you know what i mean but uh it's just you know it was real organic and it's where where the music took us and it wasn't it was there was never a plan to do it yeah um but uh you know at the same time when when you know we did new hometown and and it was real well received and we toured on that record for three and a half years and uh um when it came time to start writing new songs, um, especially the ones that ended up on, on burning moonlight. Um, I had been, I'd moved to Nashville. I'd been living up here. I'd been writing songs for other people. And when I wasn't thinking about like, how will this fit with my set? And I was thinking about just writing a good song that somebody would hear and want to want to cut, you know, cut for their record. um, I found that a lot of my old, pop tendencies were coming were, were coming out in that writing a lot of you know just the stuff that i listened to growing up your your uh you know madonna's and paula abdul and stuff like that and yeah. you know and uh the idea was just write the catchiest hook you know <laughs> like that's you know i'm trying to sell these songs to people and so the idea is just write these catchy hooks and and uh eventually i'd find myself singing the songs and i was like oh you know what i could do I could just change this little thing and this would totally work with our band. And, uh, and so that's how the, you know, we ended up in the country and now we've kind of, uh, you know, taken a turn back into like rock and pop with the, you know, with the still got the country elements to it. So, um, you know, the idea is just to be, you know, unencumbered by labels now and just do, do what we want to do. And hopefully people will like it. And if they don't, I can at least, uh, you know, be proud of what I did and not, uh, you know, not have to worry about, you know, are people going to be okay with this? And, um, you know, there was a lot of that when, 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 uh, uh, new hometown came out, when we got signed and the label was like, Ooh, those are really big gauges in your ears. I don't think country fans are going to like that. You should take that off. And, you know, it's like, it's like, I know, uh, you got a lot of, you know, a lot of high top sneakers and flat bill caps, but what if we replace those with, with, uh, belt buckles and boots, you know, <laughs> and we did for a while. Um, and uh, but, you know, eventually, you know, now we're, we're kind of back to like 
I'm going to, I'm going to write the music and play the music that speaks to me. And I'm going to dress the way that I want to dress. And if, if it offends people, if they don't like it, if, you know, people are upset because of who I voted for in the election, you know, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. You know, I'm not going to worry about, uh, you know, keeping quiet about things. I'm not going to, you know, you know, what you do, you know, what I did when I was 28 and just listen to anybody that was going to, going to cut a check. Okay. Okay. Whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. You want me to wear a plaid shirt? Okay. Here I got it. Exactly. You you can't just, it's not just like a generic mold that everybody can fit into. You know, you got to be, you got to keep your own personality. Otherwise you just lose that sense of, you know, being an individual in the scene. Right. And, and, you know, I think to a certain degree, there's, there's going to be people that are going to feel that, you know, it's like, I like this song, but something about the guy that's singing it, you know, it's like, it just seems phony. So, you know, yeah, well, end of the day, does it matter if you're wearing large gauges, if you listen to it on the radio, you can't see, can't right. see it. Right. right. Well, you know, and that was all about their, you know, like their, you know, magazine ads and yeah. this, that and the other. And, and, uh, you know, but, but I think even since then, those kind of walls have come down, you know, you you think, uh, in 2008, um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of black country singers, you know, now, you know, starting to, people are starting to do it. Blanco Brown and Kane Brown and, um, and, uh, uh, Mickey Guyton and, you know, all the, you know, there's so many people coming up and, and, uh, you know, even you look at a guy like Sam Hunt and, you know, he, he, he's got a much more like urban style of dress than Chris Young, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's all of a sudden in the last five years, there's room for a lot more people uh, in the country, in the roots music tent. You don't have to, you don't have to fit the mold. Um, you just, you know, more now, you just got to make good songs that people want to hear. So, so that's been a positive development, I think. Exactly. I mean, you were talking earlier about Zach Brown Band coming on to doing the Thursday set. Now, when I've been listening to your music for this past couple of days, I've been trying to think of a band that could almost like not resemble you, but like fit in the same category. And the only the band that kept coming to my head was Zach Brown Band for some reason. It's- yeah, we get that a lot, which is I think why why he doesn't care for me because <laughs> people get that a lot, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I think that we definitely have elements of that. I think we have. Um, you know, elements of like Eli Young band. That's another band to me that, that, uh, you know, that's like a country radio band that, that we fit in with. But, uh, at the same time, I think, you know, growing up in Atlanta, um, we listened to black crows a lot and that, that was a yeah. big influence on me, you know, the Southern rock vibe versus like, uh, you know, my dad loved country music. And I think because my dad loved country music, I didn't want to give it a chance. You know, I don't want to hear it. Um, I was like, oh, you're so old, Dad. What are you talking about? Um, you know, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have that kind of uh, base of, you know, that a lot of country singers have where they grew up listening to, you know, George Jones and Hank and all this stuff. And I was late to the party and all that. I, I had to discover that later in life. Yeah. Have you ever spoken to anybody from the camp yet? Since, since leaving, you know, doing the... Saturday night shows and when obviously uh, yeah yeah well um so just like a side story um there was this guy that used to come see us all the time he you know he's a fan of the band and uh one day he came up to me after the show and he's like hey man I'd love to bring my girlfriend and one of her friends out 
um, to see you guys, but they're 20 and they can't get in. Do you think you could like talk to the manager and like if they put X's on their hands, could you get them in? And so, um, so she wasn't sure I figured it out. And so the next week, um, I, uh, they came, um, Mike brought these two girls out. Um, and it just so happened that that day, that Saturday, Zach was at the club. Yeah. I think he'd like left some gear there. But anyway, I was chatting with him and Mike came in with these two girls, um, big X's on their hands. Yeah. And, and Zach looks at me, it's like, you know, those two, I'm like, not exactly. He's like, which one's yours? <laughs> like, so, so, uh, so uh, I was like, ah, this one, you know, like having ever met these two girls. Um, and, uh, so we go over and start talking to them. Um, and they were like best friends and had grown up together. Uh, but the one that Zach was talking to was actually Mike, the guy who brought them. It was actually his girlfriend. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Zach and I went ahead and married those two girls. Um, really? Yeah. So, oh, um, wow. yeah. So, uh, you know, my wife, Susanna and, and Zach's wife, Shelly had been best friends since like the sixth grade. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely went to a lot of, a lot of parties at their house. I'd, you know, seen them around and even like a lot of guys that worked at Dixie Tavern at that club ended up being on his, on his, uh, tour, like work, you know, running sound and working security. And I mean, he took everybody when, when he, uh, um, you know, really hit it. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I know a lot of guys in that camp, um, Zach and Shelly split up like a year ago, but even so, um, you know, still, I still do, you know, know a lot of those cats. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, for, for such a big city, it's a, Atlanta can be a pretty small town. What was it that made you think, you know what, let's move, let's move from Atlanta and let's go to Nashville. Let's pursue it, you know, this way. Let's actually nail our roots down here. Well, um, we, uh, you know, we'd toured on new hometown, we'd had the big billboard success. Uh, and then, um, right as that was happening, uh, the guy that owned our record label, uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer and it didn't last much longer. So of course, when he passed away, the label folded and we stuck it out for another year and a half trying to do it on our own. Um, you know, we, you know, had trouble with country music cause the industry said, well, you're not really country, you're Americana. And then we go to the Americana labels and they'd be like, yeah, you're more rock. And then you go to the rock labels and they're like, oh man, you're country, you got a fiddle. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we hadn't been able to nail down another deal, even though we'd had like all these, you know, big benchmarks uh, of success. And uh, then I got offered a job writing songs up here and, you know, it was steady income and I got to do music and I got to actually you know, be around with, you know, taking my kids to school and stuff like that, that I hadn't been able to do when I was always on the road. Um, and so, yeah, it, it seemed like a great opportunity. So I, I, uh, moved up here and, um, you know, I uh, took the deal and wrote some songs and some, some people cut them and, and, uh, you know, and, um, a couple of, or one of the, one of the guys moved up to, to Nashville with me or later anyway, like a year later. And, um, Sean still lives in Atlanta, our drummer, who's like the only other founding member. Um, but then we ended up filling in the the gaps with a couple of couple of Nashvillians and um, Quinn Loggins, who plays bass for us. His dad was a was a big um, country and pop star in the seventies. Yeah, a guy named Dave Loggins. He had a song called uh, "Come Back to Boston." That was his big hit. Um, but Tim McGraw covered that, and August Anna covered that, and 
somebody else in the eighties that I can't think of covered it. So, you know, I mean, like everybody, everybody knows, you know, so many people know that song. Um, so he's great. Um, there's a guy that we toured with uh, a bunch named Angie Aparo, who is an incredible singer. Um, and, uh, a great writer too. He wrote, uh, cry by faith Hill. Um, and he had kind of had a, my, like a minor radio hit in the South, uh, of, with his version of it. Yeah. So he wrote, she did that one. And obviously that, uh, kind of moved him into a different, different stratosphere. And, uh, and then he wrote uh, a couple of Miley Cyrus songs. Anyway, um, we toured with him a bunch and, and, uh, one of the tours we did was just a duo tour, me and my, uh, guy that plays, you know, everything. He played fiddle, guitar, piano, mandolin, and, um, Angie and his guitar player. And then, uh, I guess last year, Angie pulled it off the road for a while and, uh, man, he, that guitar player was so good. I was like, so Angie doesn't have any tour dates coming up. He's like, no, you want to, you want to join the band? And, uh, so that's how, that's how Yanni joined the band. He's our, he's our newest guy. And man, I, I don't think I've ever known anybody that could play the guitar like, like Yanni, uh, man, that guy is unreal. And he's, you know, 15 years younger than the rest of us, which is even more more frustrating you're like oh my god man how are you that good that young it's 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 rough but uh but anyway but but, you know with this current incarnation this current lineup uh you know we're a big loud rock band and it's it's a lot of fun um and uh you know we're you know we're still doing a lot of the same songs uh from from the old record but you know the new ones we've expanded to be you know to be a rock band um you know that doesn't just do country We, we we're, we're doing all the, all the things. And, uh, you know, and I, it definitely wouldn't have happened like this if I hadn't moved to Nashville, we'd, we'd probably have the same lineup that we had in Atlanta and, you know, what have you. So. Crazy. That. What, what, how did you say it to your wife then? You know, when you said, all right, we're moving, we're moving to Nashville, pack your bags. Well, Atlanta's fucking miserable, man. It's the worst. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's it just like, um, are do you live in london no i live up home towards the north i live in a uh, city called york i don't know if you've ever heard of it yeah Yeah, i know where york is but um uh okay so you don't you don't probably have the traffic problems of london but like i was trying to gonna compare atlanta to to, to london i understand the traffic i've been down to london plenty of times but i live up north right yeah just but like you know it's a pain like you go to new york city and you drive around the traffic and you're like ah whatever yeah but day in and day out to every day do it to you know leave a bar at 2 a.m and pull onto the highway and it's you know standstill traffic you're like yeah. this place sucks man um <laughs> uh, and so you know it was it, you know it had you know it had a lot to do with that and, and i think you know i was lucky enough to uh, uh marry a woman who shared a lot of my a lot of my thoughts on on that kind of stuff so um you know she was all she was up for it uh she's up for you know trying someplace new she'd spent her whole life in atlanta um other than other than college so uh so yeah so you know she was ready for for a change and i was ready for a change and an opportunity presented itself and it just seemed like you know the universe was telling us something and so uh so we jumped that's awesome you know fair play well done (laughs) yeah that's always the hardest thing is you know coming up to the realization okay then let's do it let's just Let's go. Let's let's try it out. You know, well done. 
Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always, uh, it's always tough taking that leap, whatever, whatever the leap is, but uh, you know, it was tough leaving friends behind and, and her family, you know, lives there. So, you know, obviously taking, you know, taking the grandkids away from her mom and stuff, you know, that wasn't ideal, but, uh, but you know, uh, everybody was real supportive. And, and uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, we made the right move. Now, Burning Moonlight, your new EP. Yep. When's it out? Uh, for December. For, it's available for pre-save 23rd of October, is it? Yeah, 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 exactly. See that? Memory, eh? <laughs> yeah, what, what, nice. What, what's your, um, your favourite track amongst the EP? I've got my favourite. Uh, funny enough, it's it's villain, um, which hey. was a was a late addition. <laughs> that's mine. I've got to say, yeah. yeah, man. Well, that's why it ended up as the first track on the on the EP, and, and it wasn't on the EP to begin with. There was a track called "Let It Ride." Yeah, um, it was on there, and then uh, we parted ways with uh, with our longtime uh, utility guy, and he had written that one. It was the only song on the record that I didn't write, um, and he had written it. Um, with another really great Americana artist here, a guy named Ron Pope. Um, but I didn't want to have any songs on the, on the EP that, that, you know, one of us at least wasn't involved with. And, and Quinn and I had written villain uh, and it, it had been cut. Actually, we, you know, got cut by an artist called uh, Carter winter. Um, and, uh, and he didn't do anything with it. It didn't, you know, like, I think he, I think he put it out, but, but, you know, it didn't do any numbers and we're like, man, and you know, and his his version was just different than the version in in mine and Quinn's head. So, um, you know, when when you look at the CD, you'll see like you know it says you know everything's produced by Jonathan Roy except villain produced by uh, and 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 past midnight um, uh, by a different guy. But uh, but Quinn Quinn put together that track real you know in really short order, um, got it done, and then uh, we put some vocals on it and we had that thing had, you know, had that thing done in a couple of days and when we got it back. We're like, you guys, I think this is the, this is the lead track for the record. And, you know, uh, had I known, had we not everything, had we not already had everything in motion, I think that would have been the single instead of past midnight. But, uh, um, but yeah, we'll, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to follow it up. We'll make a little video for, for villain, you know, around the first of the year. So I cannot wait to see that. you got a music video coming out soon. Haven't you as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the past midnight video comes out uh, the twelfth of November. You're excited for it all to be finally released. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the the original release date for this EP was May 29th. So it's so, a bit uh, of a wait. Yeah, yeah. And you know, at the time, as everybody was on such you know extreme lockdown, and we're like, well, so we just pushed the tour to October, and then you know, obviously, you know, come August, we're like all right, we're just going to cancel the tour uh, and put the record out anyway, so. Yeah, that must yeah. that must be a horrible moment to actually decide, okay, then let's cancel the tour, but then still release it, obviously, because when, when people do, like, new EPs or new albums or releasing new music, they like to base it around a tour so they can get as much publicity as possible. You know, it's this big event. But yeah. obviously it gets dampened down because you know, you're not there to do it. It's, it must be heartbreaking. It, it is. It's, it's, it's a real bummer. Um, and, uh, you know, even there's even like some festivals that, that were going on that were, that are still happening that they invited us to. 
It's just, it didn't, it didn't feel like the right thing. We felt like as much as we want to play now, you know, we need to do the responsible thing and, and wait until, you know, we can get out there. Cause I don't want it to be, you know, obviously as a performer, you're especially festivals, you're on a big stage, you're well removed from the crowd. Um, you know, so long as you don't go stand at the merch booth afterward and, and you know, shake hands. Um, but I didn't want to be, you know, kind of complicit in a bunch of people getting sick because it was, you know, people came to see us and then stood there without a mask and got each other sick. So, um, so that was, a, yeah, that, that may have been even more than canceling the tour, uh, turning down, you know, big festivals that, you know, maybe, maybe a, a slot that an act that, you know, has been kind of dormant for a while, like us wouldn't have normally gotten if somebody hadn't canceled and to say, man, you know, I'd love to do that show with old crow medicine show, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say no this time and just, you know, hope they'll come back to you, you know, the next time when, when you can do it. So that, that, that was the toughest part. Cause I know I can rebook those shows that we had booked, uh, you know, with, with the clubs that, that love having us, like I can book, I can rebook that at any time, <laughs> but the festivals are a little, little, little rougher. That must be nice knowing that you've got a back pocket full of venues and places that'll happily take you and sell out. Yeah. Yeah. Sell out or, you know, uh, at least, uh, at least fill it up, whether, you know, whether or not it actually sells out and, and, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens when, when we do get back to it. If, you know, if people are going to be nervous or if, or if people are going to be just that starved for music that they're going to, you know, come out in bigger numbers, it's just, it, it could go either way. So now out of the six tracks you've got on your EP, which ones mm-hmm. were the quickest ones to write and which ones were the easiest ones to write? Hmm. Let's see here. Um, I would say, trying to, yeah, I don't think any of them took more than four hours. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I can remember back to writing each one of those songs. Um, Gravity maybe was the quickest. LB Shane and I um, knocked that one out real fast. Um, I go to um, most every year. I didn't go. We didn't do it this year, but there's a writers retreat way out west um so you know it's a long it's a long way from here um but it's just middle of nowhere like on this mountain in the desert and so usually the 10 or 12 of us go out there every year and um it's this tiny little mountain community that loves you know having songwriters come so there's you know there'll be 10 or 12 of us and you know eight or 10 people on the mountain that have a guest room will put you know, each one of us, of us up in a different house. And then somebody's got like a, like a caravan outside their house and a couple of us stay in there, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. And so my second year that I was there, um, you know, we flew in, I, I want to say we landed in Las Vegas at like seven o'clock in the morning. And then you drive four hours to, uh, three and a half hours to this place. Oh, um, so it, yeah, so we got there, you know, it's 1030 in the morning, um, and, uh, of course we did make the, the, the bus driver that was taking us there stop at the, the Las Vegas dispensary cause pot's only legal in certain places. So Las Vegas is one of them. So, yeah. uh, you know, you're going to put 12 songwriters on a mountain for a, for a <laughs> whole week. Uh, they're going to start rubbing against each other one way or another, uh, you know, and, and people are going to get annoyed and it's better <laughs> if they keep them high. Um, but anyway, we, I get that. we, we touched down on this on this mountain at like ten thirty. They had a little breakfast set up for us. We ate 
LV and I sat down at 11 because we, uh, some, you know, somebody will make the schedule. It's like, here's your morning, right? Here's your afternoon, right? And then, you know, then sign up for a night. If you want a third, right, you know, sign up, you know, for, to be with different, you know, make your different groups or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it was my first ride of the day, which that was the first time that had ever happened where we had gotten in in the morning and then they give us a right that morning. We're like, what right now? <laughs> so anyway, so we're sitting there, you know, um, you know, but then you start looking around and you're out in the middle of nowhere, nature, and like you're looking down the mountain and there's elk you know, which I don't know if you guys have elk there, but they're insane. It's like, uh, it's like if you just put, put a deer and a moose together, <laughs> I don't know, crazy. And they'll walk right up to you and eat grapes out of your hands, but, uh, they'll also attack you. Um, but anyway, point being, we're sitting there at this table, like looking at all this beauty and, you know, uh, even though neither one of us felt like really up for it, we're like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. And I think, uh, you know, maybe an hour and a half, we wrote gravity and, and, uh, um, you know, one of us had, had had that melody and we'd been singing it and, and, uh, that, that one came together real quick. Um, the year before at that, uh, songwriters retreat, we had, uh, um, had an 8am right. Um, which sounds crazy, but they're, they're two hours, uh, ahead of Nashville time. So 8 a.m. there is really 10 a.m. Yeah, so it's not too uh, bad. Not as bad as it sounds. Um, so anyway, so we, but you know, we're writing like as the sun comes up and uh, uh, Russell Sutton had that, uh, uh, you yeah, know, like a hummingbird singing the song outside of the window. He had that, that line. And uh, from that, um, that one came together super fast too. Um, and there was a lot of great writers on that. Uh, that was a four person, write. Myself, Russell Sutton, uh, Kelly, uh, Carvin from Carvin walls. And then a guy named, uh, Andrew Rollins who wrote like half the songs from the show Nashville. Um, and right after a couple, couple months after we wrote up on your love, he won, um, won an Emmy for best, best show on a television sh- or best song on a television show. Um, so I got really lucky one to work with, you know, three other really, really talented writers Two that Russ was already ready. And, and when you work with Russ, that's the way it is. Like he already, he already kind of knows what he wants to do. Yeah. And so you got to get in there and you gotta, you gotta be fast. You gotta throw your ideas in there. Otherwise he's just going to write the song as you sit there. So, uh, so that one was super fast. Um, I guess past midnight was the only one that, that went through a few different phases. Um, I started that with, uh, my buddy, Keith Hetrick, who, uh, has, uh, in the interim become like a really big K-pop producer. He's, he's doing, <laughs> he's producing, you know, all over the place. Like anytime you see something that's like top 20 K-pop, he's on it. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is weird. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> he's super talented. And what, you know, when I met him, he had, he had just gotten a Grammy nomination uh, for an R&B and a gospel song. So two different Grammy noms for, for, you know, so this guy was doing something totally different and we just got along and we just vibed personally and we're like, we could see how it goes. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, you know, uh, and we ended up bringing in a guy, Mason Thornley that I write with a lot. He and I wrote classic from this record and uh, you know, Mason helped us kind of uh, country it up a little bit. That's his, his, uh, his specialty his uh his i remember him you know when we were coming up with it i remember him going what about your lips fit real good against my lips and i was like yes that's good 
that's that's the country today right there that's perfect so um so you know he really uh you know he he was the kind of the linchpin that pulled what keith and i were doing and and sort of like you know made it all fit together so yeah all, all of these songs with the maybe the exception of past midnight were were done in in you know just a few hours with with some really really talented co-writers when you're driving up to this retreat do you do like any pre-preparing work you know talking about like melodies and talking about different like song ideas that you could write whilst you're up there? Um, well, or do you just listen to music and just jam along? You gotta be, you gotta be careful because you don't want to give your ideas away because you don't know when you're going <laughs> to write too. So yeah. you don't want to talk too much about it because, um, you know, nothing like saying something and, and it, sticks in somebody's head and they forget that you said it and then they pitch it in their right and you're like wait that's my song <laughs> uh, and actually there was a couple people that uh had sort of discussed that hummingbird line uh with russ on uh up on your love and they were a little they were a little salty that they they got left out of that right it's just like well it was just on the schedule and that was you know whatever so uh so there's a couple people that we always always got to thank when we play that song, Kyle Coolahan and Terry Joe Box, because uh, they uh, they had planned to be on that right and they got sort of shut out. How does that work like legally then? Because obviously, if you're not involved directly with the right, then you don't get put onto the right, you know, as a co-writer itself. But if you are there yeah. during the actual writing session, that is when you are on the, you know, fifty fifty, thirty three, thirty three, thirty three, etc. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, they they just they just had a casual conversation with Russell about that, uh, that line, because for some reason, um, Kyle had started, started calling Terry Joe hummingbird on that trip. I don't really know <laughs> what, what the thing was. Um, and then, you know, and then Russ came up with, you're just like a hummingbird singing a song outside of a window, which we all thought was really funny because like hummingbirds don't sing, um, you know, but, uh, but it just like, it just fit perfectly. So, uh, you know, yeah, they they wanted you know they wish they were involved, but uh, also they're you know they're not gonna like raise hell about it because we've all written you know ten more songs with each of them since then you know so it's uh, sometimes that stuff ha stuff happens and you know sometimes sometimes you do uh, you know a lot of times in the band somebody will say something and somebody will be like oh that's a song and everybody's like I get a third <laughs> you know if you know, twelve people in the band all taking a third of the song so. Um, you know, that's sort of how that, uh, how that goes down. But, uh, you know, there's a little pre-pro, but you certainly don't give away your melodies. Never, never, never give away the melodies. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can throw around ideas, especially if they're, if they're more funny than realistic, then, you know, we'll throw around a lot of, you know, a lot of ideas that, you know, might be, might be too filthy for radio. Those are the ones that get discussed. Out of all the songs you've written then, it, as a songwriter, how many of them have actually made like, charts as charts as we know it then I've, 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 is there any out there that's really struck high uh, no really just the two that, that i've done which were sunday suit um off off of the first southern gothic record um back in 2009 and then yep. down so those are the only ones that have really um had you know done big things actually one of the songs on this record classic um was uh was cut cut by another artist and uh she she took some liberties she did some different things that i wouldn't <laughs> have done with it let's say that um and so so it was kind of a disappointment we thought that was gonna 
you know, that one was going to be a hit for somebody else. And it wasn't, which is why we were like, like, we can't waste this. We gotta, we gotta recut this. Um, and then, uh, there's a, a kid, um, like a Disney channel kid, uh, you know, he's been in a bunch of you know Disney channel movies and stuff. And he did a song that Quinn, my bass player and I wrote, um, with Trapped and Harvey, uh, same three, same three that wrote villain. Uh, we wrote a song called party ain't a party. And that one did all right on the iTunes charts, but never didn't, it never really did much on the, on the billboard charts. Yeah. So we've had a lot of like, you know, I've had a lot of minor stuff that's, that's done all right. This made the top 200, but nothing that's, you know, nothing that's charted very high. Does it frustrate you when artists take your song and then kind of like twist it into a way that you just feel it doesn't fit? I know sometimes it can fit, you know, sometimes people think outside the box, but usually when you're writing a song, you've got this whole, it's like a whole idea, not just like little bits. Yeah. yeah so um, it was actually uh, a three way write I did pretty shortly after moving here. Um, and it was one of like at the time I was so hyped on the song. I thought it was great. So it was me and another Nashville guy and an Australian artist um, who was quite popular back in Australia uh, that had come here with the specific purpose of writing songs for his new record. So um, we wrote this song and there was a line in it um, that was, and I know you guys don't have the saying there and obviously not in Australia, but people say here, don't let your mouth write a check that your ass can't cash. Like basically don't, don't talk a bunch of shit that you can't back up, you know? Fair enough. Yeah, I get that. So anyway, but it's something that like, you know, somebody in cowboy boots would definitely say, yeah. Uh, you know, and so, 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 um, in the song, we ended up with a line that was, uh, uh, if you hear me talking, writing checks that I can't cash. Okay. So, you know, an allusion to that, to that saying, yeah, well, he goes back to Australia. He records the song. Uh, he's like, Hey, it's coming out to radio in a couple of days. And he sends us the version and he's changed the line to, if you hear me talking, if my heart turns black, we're like, <laughs> oh my, any fucking sense that doesn't go with the song at all. What are you talking about? So, um, so that was the time I've, I've been most angry about somebody doing something to one of my songs. That's just, uh, that, that's, that's not even like a minor change. That's just like completely changing the whole feel of it. Yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, He's like, nobody in Australia is going to know what that other line meant. I'm like, but they're going to know that this doesn't make any sense. So what's the difference? Uh, Teach them. Teach them the new saying. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, I know. And and it it was super frustrating because that guy had had kind of a string of, of, uh, you know, top 10 hits in Australia. And we were like, well, this could be one. Yeah. Um, So anyway. It might not even just been top 10. It could have been number one for him. Yeah. Is and they? me, exactly. Could have been. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I can see why you get frustrated with that one. Oh my! But uh, but I have had a lot of really good luck writing with uh, with Australian uh, writers and and uh, and artists and and uh, I've actually you know had had a bunch of bunch of cuts in Australia. There's a there's a uh, band down there called uh, the Brothers Three, um, and they're kind of Jonas Brothers type deal. Uh, yeah, they're really good. And their producer was here and we were, you know, he and I wrote some songs for them and, you know, like, uh, that's another, that's another spot that it, that's actually the only continent that I haven't visited is Australia. So we're, 
we're trying everything we can to uh to push this record down there so we can we can if nothing else just get a you know a vacation where the hotels are covered <laughs> what you he know? needs to do is a commonwealth tour so canada australia yeah. new zealand everywhere that our queens visited or right. owned um yeah actually uh um Cassandra Sotos, who plays fiddle with us when we have fiddle, she's, you know, kind of part-time with us. Um, she left for a year uh, to tour with a guy named Arjit Singh. Yeah. Um, Indian. Um, and almost all of their sh- her shows were in India and South Africa. Uh, you, you know, you said Commonwealth, which made me think of this. Um, but they came and they did one show in London and it was a sold out Wembley Stadium show. Wow. So, like, this artist that none of us have ever heard of, but he's, you know, huge Indian artist, And obviously there's a big Indian community in, in London or in England, you know, uh, overall. And so she got to play Wembley and it was funny because like we had this moment with the band where we had, we had been out with playing with this rock band sticks and we'd been on tour with them a bunch. And uh, the great thing about that tour is we were playing huge venues and we were done playing by 8 30 every night yeah so uh, yeah so you know because you know their fan base is older because they're you know banned from the 70s and yeah so they wanted to be they wanted to be done by like 10 or 10 30 so we had to, we played we played you know 7 30 to 8 15 or something so um so we, you know we did that and then we uh went back to the hotel and we ended up watching we were we all piled into one hotel room just to hang out. We all, you know, we had separate rooms. But we all piled, we were just hanging out and uh, this Foo Fighters documentary came on and like the, the, uh, you know, culmination of all their work was them playing Wembley stadium. Yeah. And then, you know, a month later she gets the call to go play with Arjit Singh and she's like, Connor, I'm playing Wembley at the end of this tour. <laughs> you gotta do that. You gotta get out there. So, uh, you know, she went and lived in, lived in India for, for a year and, um and uh you know really got to do you know again she was doing kind of the, the the commonwealth spots and um you know i would i would love to do that i would love to do that. i don't mind i'll start in canada <laughs> and make my way I, whatever i gotta do i'm, I'm Finish into up at it. wembley yes rachel, yes exactly rachel, if you can hook that up for me i'd appreciate that rachel's got a big job ahead of her then indeed she does how did you Renee actually how did you come across rachel then um I had uh, Instagram. Yeah. I like, I just seen her promoting some artists and I checked out some of the artists and thought they were pretty good. And I thought that uh, she was doing a great job, you know, getting the message out about them. Uh, and so I reached out to her. I think I actually reached out to her um, about, um, I was doing a, a, a like our biggest to date, our biggest live stream or biggest production thing. And I was trying to get her to help us, push it over there you know we wanted to do a separate step separate live stream for for uh you know euro time because obviously if we're doing it at eight <laughs> o'clock here here you know it's two in the morning for you guys and nobody's staying up that late to watch me so um so yeah so i'd, I'd you know. you'd be surprised yeah you never know and i think you know i think what we're going to do with the with the album release show is is we're going to uh you know re-air it at a at a friendlier time uh for for UK and Europe. That's awesome. You what know, you need to do is a special one. Yeah. 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 Why not? A special weekend so. show for us. That way it's lunchtime for everyone in Nashville. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I found that nobody watches the streams on the weekends. You got to do them on Thursday or Sunday night. That's really the the only time to do it. So, so we're doing it Thursday night here. So, um, you know, y'all probably get it on the Sunday night. It's my guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait to can't wait to see it all. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. I can't wait to see what happens. Now, final questions to do with the EP. Which one out of all okay. the six songs is your favorite one to play? solo and as a band that's a good question um i would say um hmm, i hadn't have not given that any thought at all um i think solo it's probably up on your love i I get we get great reactions with with that um yeah past midnight another another fun one to play um to play solo um so, so maybe maybe I'll, I'll say past midnight solo and up on your love with the band. You see, I can imagine up on your love with just a acoustic guitar and maybe someone on like a cajon or something, and yeah, just you know, just slowing slowing the tempo down just a little bit and making it into a really a love ballad, really, because it's yeah, it is. On that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah, and that that was super fun. I, you know, I, I I enjoy playing all these songs. Um, Gravity is the toughest to sing. It's 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 up there in my range. So, so I always gotta I gotta knock that one out early in the show, or else we got trouble. How'd you prepare for like the higher pitches, the higher keys? Um. Well, I usually uh, I usually transpose it to a lower key. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Usually, I don't blame you. By move, but um, but uh, no, I mean you know um. Just after years of doing it, you know, you learn your your vocal warm up and and you know what songs are going to give you trouble. And so you look at your set list and you put them between two easy, easy songs to sing. So, you know, you can ramp into it and then, you know, ramp out of it without having, you know, you don't want to do all your tough stuff back to back to back to back. So, yeah, um, you know, and if all else fails, uh, you know, if your song's in A, man, do it in G. It'll be fine. No one will notice. Um <laughs> When you're on stage performing, what's what's your go-to drink? Um, whiskey and water, bourbon and water. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. What what what's your go-to bourbon then? What what's your favorite? Uh, Blanton's or Rowan's Creek are my two favorites. Nice um, choices. And my uh, my third favorite is uh, whoever's sponsoring me at the moment. <laughs> fair play. I love that answer. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I, I like bourbon, like it's gotta be, you know, like it's gotta be pretty bad to not be good. So anybody <laughs> that wants to sponsor the show, I will drink your bourbon. Is there any particular drink you won't have? I don't like gin. I don't like gin at all. I, I get uh, that. Yeah. It just tastes like, uh, like chewing on pine needles to me. Um, I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people love it, but, uh, you know, I, I will drink just about anything else. Um, I've got great stories to go with each type of alcohol. Uh, <laughs> get into that next time. Um, but uh, but yeah, usually I'll just have like a big giant jug of water on stage and and then you know and a liquor drink. If it's a long show, I'll wait halfway through to start start with the liquor. But you know, yeah. Now I totally get that with gin because I can't stand dry drink dry drinks. It's just that back of the tongue. I don't like it. I like like you say, you know, I'm more of a bourbon guy. I, I usually go for like the Maker's Mark or the Buffalo Trace or something, whatever's cheapest. Yeah, fair enough. Like like I said, you know, it's tough. It's tough to mess up bourbon. You know, like most bourbon is good. So um, Maker's Mark's a little uh, 
I don't know, spicy, a little, little hot for me. Um, uh, but, uh, but I do, uh, you know, the Buffalo trace is really good. And, um, recently rehearsals this week, I was drinking, what, what is it? Elijah Craig and, and Knob Creek. So, you know, yeah. got, a, got, got quite the nice, uh, let's see, little, little bar set up for rehearsals. That is crazy. Look at, we're talking on zoom at the moment. Now behind Connor, there's like a nice long wall of guitars. And then we've just been talking about drinks and he's kind of like looked over the camera and looking from his eyes going from left to right. It's almost pretty much the same length of wall of drinks, <laughs> although it's double shelved and a bit shorter. Yeah. It's a good, yeah, yeah, it's a good uh, two meters of liquor on the, on the wall. Good That's my kind of social distancing right there. <laughs> that is the social distancing. Okay. So, Burning Moonlight out twenty third of October, or is it pre save up? Uh, that uh, past midnight is out at twenty third of October. The the uh, Burning Moonlight's on December fourth. December fourth, oh, cannot wait. <laughs> See, I'm trying to bring it as forward as I can. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. If I could skip forward, I'd be there. What are you most excited about the whole release? I have been promising this record to people for over a year now saying it's coming. We're getting, it's going to come in January. I was going to come in May, you know, whatever. So <laughs> I am um, excited about being vindicated as not a liar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that this, that this uh, album uh, actually ha- exists, has existed uh, for many, many months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, 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 you know, I, I'm excited to see how like our, our uh, real, roots rock oriented fans um how they vibe with it you know i'm excited to see if the the pop influences um i think that that people i think it's gonna hit people in a place that that they remember from you know from their youth you know where it wasn't all about you know belt buckles and and cowboy boots like i said you know and uh um i think that uh you know, that's what I'm most excited about is seeing, seeing if I'm right about that, seeing, seeing if it's, if it's received the way I think it will be. Well, I'm certainly excited for it. Anyhow, where can we find you on social media? We are at the Southern Gothic music.com. Um, and then, you know, at the Southern Gothic on Instagram, facebook.com slash the Southern Gothic. And, um, because someone snaked the Southern Gothic on Twitter, it's just at Connor Christian. Uh, which is my name on Twitter. Fair enough. Final question of the show. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Exclusively. There we go. That's what I like. <laughs> I'm I'm starting to like you more and more as the show progresses. It's brilliant. Well, I will look forward to, uh, to having a, a couple of pints with you when we make it over there next summer, man. I look forward to having you over here. Make sure you come up north, though. Don't just stay around London and Wembley. You know, you got to do these smaller venues up here. Just for me. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's like a uh, like a decent size, uh, you know, football pitch that we can play. Right? <laughs> I'm know? sure there is. Big enough to fit everybody. Uh, but no, we're we're definitely yeah. We're we're gonna do our best to uh, you know to get all the UK. You know, I want to want to get up north. I want to get you know want to do uh, Scotland. Uh, you know, so I want to I want to really get out there and do do uh, as much as we can no point in flying over there just to do two or three shows you know exactly well there's a motorway a freeway that joins london to the north to scotland and it's called the m1 
So just do tours across the M1. Just work your way up. Just call it the M1 tour. I like it. it. Thank you for coming on. It's been brilliant talking to you. Yeah, Dom, you too. Thanks so much for having me and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thank you everybody for listening and I'll see you all next time. Bye for now. That was the Country Chats Podcast. Join Dom next time for exclusive interviews, reviews and general chit-chats on all things country music.